Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. (laughs) (laughs) We've both worked in ministry for over 18 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. So this week we have a special guest. I can't believe we've had like almost, we've had over 75 episodes and I don't think we've brought on a an Ablaze youth minister missionary onto the podcast. Have we? Other than Alyssa, who is actually a supervisor, have we brought anyone else as far as youth ministers onto the podcast? Well, Taylor, like two weeks ago. True, but he's more he's in a supervisory role as well. You know, so yeah. anyway, I just think it's funny that we've we have this ministry leaders podcast and we haven't like tapped an like a resource that we have right here in in town of people who experience ministry for the first time and what that looks like. So Sarah Lessman is with us. She is the middle school youth minister at uh, St. Joseph's here in town and she helps out a lot with campus ministry. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, Sarah? Well, I'm Sarah. And like Matt said, I work at St. Joseph's doing middle school youth ministry. I grew up in Houston and moved to College Station um, when I went to Texas A&M, graduated in 2016 with a Parks and Rec major, which is super random. And (laughs) I... Is it anything like the TV show? um, I mean, I imagine some people go into that, but I don't (laughs) think most of them do. Um, The only people I know that were in my major are now photographers. So there's that. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually went into college thinking I'd be youth minister. Then I gra- like, as I was in school, was like, no, like, there's, that's not what I want to do. Um, and then after I graduated, I, for a year and a half, kind of like stumbled and was like doing marketing, but knew that wasn't a full-time job, like future wise. Um, and then God was like, oh, youth minister. So that's why I'm here still. He kept me in College Station for a reason. So, Awesome. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring Sarah on, so there's there's two reasons. One is for her to shed light on and be a wealth of knowledge for first-time ministry leaders that come in and are listening to the show, but also for those of us who lead ministry leaders, whether it's priests or directors of evangelization or whatever, you're going to bring on someone who is coming into ministry for the first time at some point, I think. And so what is it like to lead, you know, someone in that position, in that role? And how can we, as ministry leaders of ministry leaders, best equip them and set them up for success? So what was a big challenge you faced in your first year as a ministry leader, like full-time? What was maybe a fear or some hill you had to conquer? A lot of things. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, well, I mean, the first thing that came to mind was that it's a gift to have a person above you at a blaze, having a director immediately above you, helping you and walking with you. And it truly is a gift. I think that something I've struggled with is that like during my first year of ministry, I I had four. They're all incredible people, but it was hard to go from transition to transition to transition. Uh And you see like other people who have had one for like three years. So at first I saw it as like this really big hardship and it was really frustrating. But then when I kind of like prayed into that, I realized how incredible each person was that walked with me. And like, I learned something different from each person. I'm like, for one person, I specifically learned how to pray. And then from like Matt, I'm learning how to like really get stuff done and other things too, Matt. But, you know, there, there's <laughs> something from each person that I've gotten to, to grow with. And so when you said you've had four different people, it's actually 
one person at a time, but there's been mm-hmm. transition there. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like no. a team of four people that are coming in and I'm, I'm the get things done specialist and I'm the, you know, prayer specialist. It was a different kind of supervisor at each time. That could be hard. Yeah. Transition is always a challenge, but at the same time, it's just good to know you're loved, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of people pouring yeah. into you. So, um, so for those of us tell- who are ministry leaders or supervisors, obviously consistency would be something that we need to provide for the new ministry leader. But then if you can't be consistent, then you need to transition well, Mm -hmm. like when that happens. And then on the new ministry leader side, when things like that happen, like you said, look at what am I gaining from this? What is something that I can learn from this experience, even though it might be kind of annoying? Well, and I think we we should dial into what does that look like in a practical level? Because uh, I've, I've seen situations where people are like, okay, and here's your job description. Here's the keys. Go and ask mm-hmm. me if you need anything. Right. And then they, they don't, they don't come back in and check. And then there's other situations where they're sitting right next to you and being like, ah, eh, no, that's not how you type that out on the keyboard. And you're like, whoa, maybe that's too much co-journeyment. What was your experience, Sarah? Was it like a weekly meeting, a monthly meeting, an every other day meeting? And how was that formation or onboarding into your first year of ministry? So something that Ablaze requires is that you meet with your director once a week. And then after your second year, like Matt and I have transitioned from meeting every week to having like a check-in every other week and then actually having a one-on-one. So like actually meeting for an hour to an hour and a half, just talking about ministry. And I think that that's looked different for each person that I've been with as well. So like one person, it was like meeting their office. The next person was like going to a coffee shop. And like that was a person I really learned how to really have a prayer life with. Um, And so we even like for the first couple just like sat and prayed. She like opened up scripture for me. And like I'd learned that before, but just really like sitting with scripture um, more. Awesome. Just to backtrack a little bit, why did you start in ministry? Like what what led you? Because you were working in a normal secular job and then you felt the call again, you know, to ministry. What drew you back, you know, into ministry? Yeah. Well, in high school, I was really involved in my youth ministry program. I grew up going to Catholic school um, and then didn't get involved in youth ministry until high school, which is one of the reasons why I kind of like at the campus ministry tried to encourage the kids to go to youth ministry um, because it was at youth ministry that I really like fell in love with the Lord. And so I encouraged the kids to do that. I started in youth ministry in high school and then my youth minister going into my senior or going into my freshman year of college invited me to be an intern for the parish, which I was really excited about and like really, really loved. Then I went to college and honestly kind of just forgot about being involved in youth ministry. I got really involved in St. Mary's, got really involved in, in like helping start organizations and stuff like that. Um, but like totally stepped out of youth ministry until my senior year. Um, and even then, like I looked back at who I was as a core team member and I was like, I wouldn't have wanted myself as a core team member. Um, <laughs> you know, just like showing up. Why is that? I I didn't take the meetings beforehand seriously and I don't know if anyone did but I like never came to the meetings oftentimes like oh never mind like I don't want to like come to youth night anymore and now I recognize the need of having consistency but yeah so so that was like the only time when I actually got involved in youth ministry and so I convinced myself I didn't want to do it anymore and I actually convinced myself that like youth ministry would be too easy for me Um, Mm. which like if you're one of those people I really encourage you to like look at your gifts and talents because I think I thought that because it would have been really natural and the Lord doesn't like want us to do something that's like out of our, well, not that it's not out of our comfort zone, but he wants us to like 
do something that actually fits us. Um, and, and youth ministry actually really fit me, and I was convincing myself that it didn't. And then after I graduated from college, I, I went into, I was, I was very convinced that I needed to do something like marketing, um, do something with graphic design, um, something like that. But it turned out I really didn't like doing that full time. Um, and so the Lord kept like whispering in my ear ministry and missionary. And so I applied for multiple different, different missionary jobs over that year, um, but didn't even realize that he was actually calling me to be a missionary. It was just kind of like jobs that I thought would be kind of cool to do. Um, and so I was actually applying for other jobs as well. Um, during that time. But then the Lord really spoke clearly that a place was where I was supposed to be and the youth ministry was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. it was like, it was through that. I love the part about like the natural gifts. Ministry shouldn't be as hard as sometimes it feels. And I know there's a lot of ministry leaders out there that maybe heard that part and wanted to cry a little or die a little because they're like, no, it's so impossible. And I just want to, I just want to share that I sometimes have seen these natural gifts become uh, caged or tethered to policies or um, leadership styles or, you know, even even pride of like, well, I, I want the, this to be the biggest program or I want this to, to look this way, whatever it is, when in fact, like the Holy Spirit wants to move more freely than that. Mm -hmm. And some of the other stuff is just stuff that we have to realize like, oh, it doesn't feel natural because I, I I'm, I'm doing it this way or I'm doing it this way because I'm more concerned about how it looks to this person or to that person than how God is calling me to execute it. And so um, I yeah. mean, that was just really neat insight. I think yeah. that's another three podcasts in and of itself, but uh, unbelievable. What's really incredible too with having said yes to youth ministry is that not only did it unlock like all these natural gifts that I've been given, but like I actually get to do the, my favorite parts of marketing, which is creating graphics. Like I'm constantly creating graphics for our ministry, repainting the office. So it's like, you know, things like that, that I'm still getting to use those gifts and talents, but in a way that it's actually really fulfilling to me. Yeah. And one of the thoughts I had as y'all were talking is that it, sometimes ministry can be hard because we're, we're doing stuff like Chris does it. Like if I were try if I were try to do ministry like Chris does ministry, it would be difficult because it wouldn't be using my gifts. Mm -hmm. I would be trying to use his gifts, which I haven't been given. Um, and so doing ministry the way that God made you will make it easier and more fulfilling because that's the way God made you. As leaders, like as supervisors, because Matt, you're a supervisor, that's something that we have to intentionally try and draw out of those that we welcome into ministry, whether it's volu other volunteers or professional ministry mm -hmm. leaders. Yeah, and it's, it is really hard to not expect the people you lead to do ministry like you do ministry. Right. And I have to constantly remind myself that I am not trying to make a little replica of Matt. Um, that Sarah is her own person and she's going to do ministry in her own way and draw that out in her and respect the way that God operates, you know, through her. And that's hard for, I think, supervisors anywhere because it's like, that's not the way I would do it. That's okay. Right. It doesn't have to be yeah. the way you do it. And what's also really incredible is actually getting to not only do youth ministry the way that you want to do youth ministry, but to go to other people's youth nights and see what you do like about what they do. So um, Sam, one of our Blaze missionaries went to Chris's youth night and really loved the way that he did multiple things, but specifically the attendance point nights, points, okay. attendance points game. So like every time you go to youth night, you get attendance points and he, he like gamifies attendance. Um, and we liked it so much that we started doing it this year and we've actually seen our kids 
get really excited and be like, look at how many points I have. And then like compare it to each other. And like, that's what we want, right? We want them to be really excited about being at youth night. And, and so they're actually doing that by gamifying attendance. Absolutely. All right. So looking back to your first year, is there anything that you would want to tell yourself as you started the year? So this, this is something that would be specifically for new ministry leaders or supervisors to know that new ministry leaders need to know. One, I would say really get to know the other people you're working with, because whether you have a partner in ministry, like getting to know the people you're working with creates a good dynamic and the kids see that. And so like both in ministry partners, but also with your core team. I've really tried to develop my core team's relationship over the past year, and I've seen a lot of change in the way that they work with one another. Um, and my core team like comes to almost everything. It's like grown so much. And so like because of the relationship that we have, the kids, like they have a better relationship with the kids, and the kids want to come more. Um, and so like even we had a small group last year that like really grew in relationship because of the core team members and they wanted to stay like their, their group has grown to like 14 girls and they want to stay together. But what I would tell myself is that like, I really need to like, I did not do that at first is what I'm trying to say. Like at first I did not, I did not do that. Um, and it was really, really challenging. And we like, like I headbutted with a lot of people, but by growing that relationship, I did see the fruit with the kids. And I just see the fruit with the relationships with like the specific people I'm working with. What I mean, in on top of that, so that's specifically to your ministry. Um, mm -hmm. And that can, I mean, that's a great thing, but it can also be self-serving. I'm doing this to help my ministry. Mm -hmm. What about the, like the wider parish, you know, or the parish staff? Yeah. Um, so like how did me growing in relationship with my core team affect the parish staff? Or how do how does my relationship with the parish staff affect others? That second one. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean meeting with the pastor every other week. We've we've changed that. Um, so before we hadn't been meeting with the pastor, um, and so I think we've kind of in our minds come up with with excuses and like reasons for the way the reasons why things were happening and it wasn't healthy to be doing that and so by meeting every other week with him we're forming more of a relationship with him and we're not even allowing those like excuses and those reasons to pop up um those lies honestly we're not, we're not believing any lies about the parish because of that and we're able to kind of just like explain why we even do ministry explain why we have social nights and and stuff like that um and it's really helped with that relationship. It's unbelievable how sometimes a lack of communication can lead down those those roads where you mentioned the word lies. Sometimes those lies aren't ever spoken by anyone. Mm -hmm. They're just assumptions that the cloud uh, of, of lack of clarity can create, mm -hmm. right? And that, that's the crazy part, just some communication. And I love it that there's regular connection with the pastor. And this is why I think that's vital. As ministry leaders in parish settings, we are an extension of the pastor. You know, we talk about avoiding the millstone, right? If, if anyone leads a little one astray, better that a millstone be attached around his neck and he thrown into the, uh, you know, to the deep. And uh, that millstone first goes to the pastor because the chief catechist of the parish is the pastor. Everything else is an extension of that reality. And we have to take that seriously, which means we need to lean in deeply to what the pastor has to say. And sometimes it's a challenge because... Well, the pastor hasn't studied youth ministry or, you know, whatever ministry you're leading as much as you have. 
And I think the pastor knows that, and that's why he brought you in as a ministry leader, whatever you know your role is in ministry leaders out there. Um, but at the same time, he also is charged with the one that, that discerns which direction are we going to lean or how are we going to execute. And he maybe sees things that we we can't see or that he can't even share. And that's why he leads us down certain paths. So there's there's an amount of trust there, but also I think we're called to dialogue. And sometimes that leads to healthy conflict, <laughs> but sometimes that leads to unhealthy conflict too. And uh, I see new ministry leaders come on board and they think that they're going to just do like in youth ministry, the youth nights and the execution, and they don't see the other, you know, 35 hours a week that, that are behind the scenes. But keep in mind that uh, a number of priests, they were going to come in to hear confessions and journey with people pastorally, and they didn't also recognize that they're going to be CEOs of million-dollar corporations in addition to that. And sometimes that buries their heart for ministry, and they need people to help move those other logistical things out of the way so that they can shine as ministry leaders as well. Yeah, and I think that's got to be really hard. I mean, we I don't know when the last time we had a priest on or a pastor on, but we need to have that happen relatively soon um, because— we can think that we know most of what they deal with every day, but there's no way that we can. And we can we can place you know assumptions on on what they should be doing because I, I think that it, like on the ministerial side, they need to be meeting, meeting with their ministry team every week or every other week at least. But right. their but their time is being pulled into the the finance department, into you know running the business, into maintenance and sacramentals. Or sorry, sacraments and, and, and payroll. They're feeding yeah. people literally uh, so that they can feed their children. You know, and like then, these are all very important things. Like you can't say, oh well, that's not as important as it's like. Well, it's pretty important to Chris's kids that I get the payroll done this week, you know? So Yeah, and then yeah. they've they've like if they're doing mass, like daily mass and weekend, they're preparing seven homilies a week. You know? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine giving seven talks, you know, a week when I, I lament over giving one a week, you know? Right. Um so like they're being pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, but like you said, the ministry that we do is an extension of their role, you know, and, and the kind of ministry we're doing actually like come like falls on them as the pastor, not necessarily, I mean, it falls on us and the pastor, the pastor is the ultimate like shepherd for that, that area. So I this mean, is why there's a commissioning, right? Yeah. And so like we are uh, partnering with the mission of the pastor, uh, which is actually kind of cool, right? And so there's in the church, there's two uh, different ones that are actually Formal commissionings, uh, the Extraordinary Ministers of Holy Communion, uh, and then Catechists. Those mm. are the two that have actually a rite that takes place um, where it's a formal commissioning to co-journey with the pastor's role. And ministry leaders, we're also catechists, you know what I mean? And so that's a neat role to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so having a, a good relationship with the pastor is good, but also having a good relationship with the the finance department or the people that you turn in, you know, your money to and need to receive checks from. Because if that's not happening efficiently and you start to come up with the reasons why they're not doing it, oh, they don't care about youth ministry. That's why they leave us to the last minute. And and that may not be true. You know, if, if you if you actually go in there and see what they're doing or get to know them, it's like, oh, wow, you actually have a whole lot of crap to do other than youth ministry. <laughs> so it's not all about me. It's terrifying. I, I go into meetings uh, with uh, with my pastor and he has email notifications turned on just real quietly. Uh, but there's been meetings where I've sat in there and we've had a, you know, a 30 minute meeting and he's gotten 17 emails. Bloop, bloop, 
Bloop, just real quiet. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, he's sinking. Like, he is literally sinking while he's working forward to get out from under. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. But but for you, Sarah, quick question. What is one ministry leader practice that you did your first year that you thought was extremely valuable, like that you chose personally, I am going to do this, and you're so glad that you did? As in like in my actual ministry? In your ministry, in your own kind of personal life okay. for, for growth, whatever it is, what's one thing that you're like, I am so glad that I did that in my first year of ministry? Um, I am really glad that I had um, core team trainings. So I think... Y'all probably talked about this before, but the idea of um, a youth minister is is over the core team, and then the core team is like the youth ministers for the kids. So yeah. it's like, really, I'm the director of the youth ministers. And um, not that you can't form relationships with the kids as well. Um, but I, I really took that to heart last year. Um, and so I met with my core team once a month, and we had trainings. Um like the first training was more like practicals and like, this is how you lead a small group. Um, but then the second one, we went over um, our charisms. So I had them take the charism test to learn what, what charisms they have. So what gifts the Holy Spirit's given them um, that they can then use in youth ministry. So um, learning like a couple of them had intercessory prayer. So I was like, okay, those two people will specifically be on prayer teams when we have prayer teams at like a, a an adoration night. And so like it helped me learn more about them, but then I got to use them more too, like use them for their gifts and talents. And then right. another night we had like a, a Bible study night and that one was just incredible. I mean, during the like praying with scripture and like after, like, and then we discussed stuff, it was just like a whole new opening and like people were like crying and we were like crying for our kids and it was just honestly so beautiful and it helped us bond us even more. So I would say that, that would really um, forming my core team and getting to know my core team has been extremely helpful. Excellent. I, as I was talking about that, um, Matt, you, I think it was you that asked me earlier, like what, what is something I could go back and like tell myself a year ago? And, and something else I would share with myself is like setting boundaries. It's something Matt and I've been talking about lately, but um, a couple of weeks ago I was in spiritual direction and um, my spiritual director just like looked at me and she was like, you're doing too much. And I just started weeping. I mean, like uncontrollably crying. Um, and I think so many ministers we, we, and just like ministers in general and in parishes, we like know what that feels like to just feel like you can't do anything else. And like, you feel like you're just doing everything. Um, but that day I got home um, and it was still like 10 in the morning and I was still able to like go and do all this work, but I was exhausted. Like I physically could not move. And so I told Matt, I was like, I can't come into work today. And so, like, I didn't do anything, and I had, like, a talk to give in the next, like, two days later, and just, like, all this other stuff, but the Lord kept reminding me not to do it, um, and he actually ended up canceling all this other stuff for me so that I could write this talk. Um, so, it's just, like, really a witness that, like, if you set boundaries for yourself, the Lord will provide that time outside, and you can actually get it done. I see a little bit of irony in it, because... It sounds like one of the best things you did was set up a team recognizing like, I can't do all this ministry by myself. So I need a team of people in order to execute the mission that I've been entrusted. And then you need to learn to set boundaries because you're like, but it all depends on me, right? On one sense, it doesn't all depend on me. It depends on everybody. On the other sense, I am going to have my hair fall out in my first year of ministry because (laughs) I'm not setting boundaries because maybe I feel like I have a savior complex, like it all depends on me. But those demands on, on a ministry leader, they're heavy and they're serious, right? And and the fact that 
that, that we take them home and we internalize them and we we deal with them in, in healthy and unhealthy ways. It all shows that we're all in. And I think that that's a beautiful thing to, to say. Your first year in ministry, you were all in and it was messy, mm. right? It wasn't perfect, but you learned and you grew and that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like as you're I mean, going into your second year of running the ministry, like, do you feel different? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In what, in what way? Like, how, how would you explain um, that? Well, there's more freedom. Like, and, and part of that is outside reasons as well, or like outside of the actual youth ministry, but like parish involvement mm-hmm. still. But yeah, definitely more freedom. I feel more confident going into it. Like, I feel more confident to share the gospel with my kids and, and do it with abandonment. Like, and that's, that's what I was getting at was that, that confidence because mm-hmm. I, I, I remember what it felt like my first year of ministry. I, and it's weird to say that like 19 years later, um, but I was terrified, you know, and, and I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. And then at some point, either like right before my second year or towards the end of my second year, something clicked and it was just like, I got this you know, or God's got this. And, and, and then my ministry just completely changed or the way it felt for me completely Mm -hmm. changed. And so that's, I was, I was curious if you've, if you've hit that point yet. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that like, my hope is that that thought, that idea will give those first youth, your first year, your second year youth ministers or ministry leaders, some hope, you know, there's some light at the end of the tunnel that if, even if I'm just plugging away at some point, it's going to click. Mm-hmm. And, and something's going to change. And the way that I do ministry is going to change because I'll finally realize that I, that God has gifted me with something and I'll, and I'll have the confidence that I need to be me in ministry. Something I keep thinking about, and I keep bringing up my core team, but it's, it's so important. Having a good core team is so important. Having people that are consistent, having people ha- like ingraining it in their minds, like that them being there is important and, and their relationship with these kids are important. But in a particular way, like, I think what, what Chris was saying earlier, that there was this irony there of me like really investing in my core team, but then like being exhausted and feeling like it was all on me. Something I've changed this year um, is that like my core team is split into teams and then they plan the youth nights. Like that team plans the youth nights. And so I'm not even like, I went to the first one for each team and now I'm done, you know? And, and like, I'm really interesting that they're going to, to be able to do it. And still, like, I'm still emceeing the night. So there's still, like, that consistency with me being up front. But I think that, that that's one of the reasons why there's so much freedom as well. Um, because there's power in community. And with them creating the ideas, like, when they were, when I went to those first meetings of them planning the youth night, I was blown away by what they were planning. And I was like, I couldn't have done this on my own. That's what I did last year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the youth nights are going to be so much better. So I think there's like, there are these steps in which I'm taking to like improve ministry. And so like the first year I invest in the core team, but now that they're invested, now they're willing to like play in the youth nights. And they probably have more ownership over the ministry now mm-hmm. because it's not just, oh, these are Sarah's ideas that we're executing, but now they're throwing themselves into the heart of the, the mission and the heart of the ministry. I think that's beautiful. One of the things that I've always said to our youth ministers, and it absolutely applies to DREs, RCIA coordinators, and pastors, is that you are not the doer of all things. You are the coordinator of gifts. And and that's your job. That's your role. You know, And that's exactly what you just described. You are not the one who's supposed to do everything. You're supposed to coordinate the gifts that God has given you. Great. Well, Sarah, how can people find you if they want to continue the conversation with you? Uh, I guess email me at sarah at ablaze.us. 
Great. Yeah, she she just gave me guns. Thank you so much. Um, thanks so much for being on the show. To all those with uh, with first-year ministry leaders in their purview, pour into them regularly. Encourage them, inspire them, and, uh, and journey with them. And if you are not a pastor, try to advocate for regular time with the pastor and those new ministry leaders. It goes a long way. If you are the pastor, make sure you do that. <laughs> yeah, of course. And so thanks for joining us today. You thanks can continue the conversation with us online at MLA. Just search Ministry Leaders Anonymous Podcast on Facebook to join our group. And you can send any feedback and any suggestions you guys have for us at mla at ablaze.us. If you want to go quickly, you go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. (laughs) Take some time this week to pray for new ministry leaders, first-year ministry leaders. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you. Thanks, Sarah. Woohoo! You're amazing. Yep. (laughs) 